0: It's great to be with you, church family. Uh, would you take the Bible that you have and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter six? I've just been reflecting in the last several weeks of just uh, thanksgiving, really, for God's faithfulness in my and my family's life. As earlier in January, there was a, a date there that. Commemorated twenty years of ministry that we've had, and that, I'm not fishing for anything here, so don't don't applaud that. I'm just saying I'm just reflecting on that, and and as the as the weeks come, I think it'll be fifteen here at Highland Crest, and and how how thankful I am for God's sustaining power through all of that, and in the most recent days and weeks, I've just hearing this consistent and it's it's always been like this of people that would come to me and just say, How can I help you? What what can I do to to, to serve you here at Highland Crest? And that's just been so affirming and I appreciate that spirit that this church has. And today I want to give you an answer for that. And it's it's really prayer that every one of you can be participating in. A few years ago, I was thinking about how is it that we do things here at Highland Crest, or at least how is it that I'm, my family and I do things, and it, it led to a little diagram that we put down, and then Ginger, as she does, she made it look a lot nicer than my little scratches did on a piece of paper. I think we have that. I don't know if you could bring that little diagram up. And in it... That diagram starts all the way on the left side with prayer. And so that's how I try to live my life, and I encourage you to do that, where you begin everything by prayer, seeking God's favor and God's help in all the areas of your life. If you're a guest today, I'm going to say, in some way, I'm going to take credit for that <laughs> because I prayed for, for new guests to come. And that God was just very gracious to bring you here today. And that leads to the second part of hospitality. One of the things that we try to do as a church is just be very friendly to our guests. And our our family over the years have tried to take the next step of inviting people into our homes. And we encourage our church family to make that a regular practice. And then the next step is, if you're still interested and you're still around, we encourage people to join a home small group where they can get to know more of the the families of our church. Sometimes there's a membership class that people can do simultaneously with that to learn more about the church. And then we got this big wheel of rhythms that goes on in our church, whether it's a Sunday morning, a Wednesday, a Senegal mission trip, any of those things that people can get involved with. And then as God brings people to mind, we have what's called a leadership pipeline where we're trying to raise up leaders that will be able to serve in ministry, serve within the church, that ultimately will lead to multiplying. My my dream would be for Highland Crest to multiply churches. Well, all the way at the beginning of that, you'll see that it starts with prayer. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, but listen to this, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. That's good. You can take the slide down now. And so when it comes to the ministry that we are called to do, and I'm not just speaking of myself, we are called to just a very impossible task, things that we are not able to accomplish in our own sweat and blood. We need God's intervention as the Word of God is shared for that Word to, to take root in a person's heart and in a person's life. When you're, there's a, a, a family conflict going on, you feel so powerless at times. Who am I to offer advice to someone but to be able to take God's Word with the Holy Spirit applying it and using that truth to bring conviction of sin and bring them back to the gospel and the hope that they can have in Christ. Think about all the complexities that are going on in the society we live in and trying to lead through that. I am more and more aware of my need for God's help, and I think you are as well. So, what is prayer? I heard of a Roman- Romanian pastor. One day, he, he had a little kitten and the kitten was stuck up in a tree. And he did his best to get that kitten down, but he couldn't, so he decided to try to lower the branch. So he was able to throw a rope up on that branch, and then he backed up his car in the back bumper, and he tied it. And as he moved forward a little bit further, more and more, that that branch became lower and lower and lower. Just as he was about ready to, to put it in park, the rope snapped and sent that kitten up into the heavens. And he looked up and said, I can't find it. So he went into the house and forgot all about that kitten. The next day, he was visiting with his neighbor, a woman. She says, you'll never guess. My little daughter has been asking for a kitten. And I told her, if she prayed and Jesus gave her that kitten, she could have that kitten. So yesterday she went outside, and she was praying, and she prayed for a kitten, and she looked up to heaven, <laughs> and here came a kitten, <laughs> dropped down from heaven. Perhaps that's what you think of prayer, is of just asking and getting. But you know, the, the, root, the Greek word for prayer actually has two different roots in it. The first word is pro, which means to face, to face toward or to seek God's face. The second root word is the word eukamaya, which means to make a request, to wish, or to entreat. Prayer is really about a relationship, seeking the face of God and asking but you can't have one without the other. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones, a wonderful pastor, who said prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at its greatest and highest when, upon his knees, he comes face to face with God. So today, I just want to take a moment and let's review prayer. And how we need prayer in our lives. I'm going to be reading now in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15, in which Jesus spoke about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said this And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. It would seem a little awkward if we're getting ready for a message on prayer, not to pray before it. So, would you please join me? Our fathers, we begin and and think through this, this wonderful blessing that you have given to us. To have a relationship with you where through the pages of Scripture and by faith we can meet with you face to face. We can enjoy a relationship with you that lingers not only in the morning but throughout the day. And in this you encourage us to hear from you in your word and also to, to bring our burdens and requests to you in prayer. Oh, Father, I pray that you would use the words of Jesus today to clarify what prayer is, it isn't, and to encourage us to take full advantage of this great gift of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Got a few statements here that would help us to make our way through this passage. The first is I'm going to say prayer is natural. Prayer is natural. For a follower of Jesus, if you've been forgiven of your sins and you are in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, I think it is natural to have an ongoing conversation with Him. As you look here at verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7, they all begin with, and when you pray, and when you pray, And when you pray, there is this expectation that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you will be a person of prayer. A little bit later in this Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If we read through the Gospels and see this pattern of Jesus getting alone to pray in the early mornings, how much more do you and I need to be people of prayer? Let me provide another illustration of a little girl that helps me when I think of prayer. Ray Pritchard, a pastor, said, picture a father watching his four-year-old daughter trying to put together a puzzle. She tries and tries, but she just can't get the pieces in the right place. Her father watches with great interest, but doesn't intervene. Finally, she comes over and crawls in his lap and says, Daddy, would you help me with my puzzle? He smiles and bends down together. They begin to pick up each piece. One by one, they put the puzzle together. Now, why didn't the father help his daughter earlier? For one thing, she didn't ask for his help. For another, he wanted her to try it on her own. And most of all, he wanted her to ask him for his help. When she did, he was honored and gladly helped her to finish the puzzle. Is this not a picture of how our Heavenly Father deals with His children? Although He longs to come to our aid, often He waits until we specifically ask Him. Sometimes He wants us to come to the end of our pitiful resources before He intervenes. And when we cry out in despair, He is honored as we express our complete dependence on Him. Every prayer is the cry of a child saying, Help, Father. I can't do this myself. The the idea conveyed in that illustration is a game changer for me. I admit to you, as a young Christian, I saw prayer as a discipline that was on the same level as, saying, getting up at 4.30 and and swimming five miles, or getting up and running 10 miles every morning, and having my shin hurt, my ankle sore, and my, my knee throbbing. I'm sure it was good for me, but I would dread every stride. But if prayer, going back to its definition, is in a relationship with God, face-to-face, and talking with Him, well, that changes things for me. That means that all the pressures and problems that are in my life are actually opportunities for me to draw closer to Him. That I can go to Him, climb into His lap, and say, help me again, O Father, with this one. There are opportunities of ministry that are before us that so often I think we overlook because we feel like that's in over our heads if we take that on. And maybe it is. Or maybe God is actually asking you to step into that ministry because you'll have to depend on Him every moment. What puzzles are before you this morning? What responsibilities are beyond your capabilities? You see, prayer is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of sitting on the lap of your Heavenly Father, enjoying His company, and asking Him to to put the puzzles together in your life. Now, as we look through this passage, there's a few little underlying points I want you to see. Number one, prayer is, is not for show. Verses 5 and 6 speak of a hypocrite. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Their hypocrite here is an actor that is in a play that from one play to the next is a different person. Don't be like them. One said, a hypocrite prays on his knees on Sunday and then prays on his neighbors on Monday. The great pastor Charles Spurgeon was known for having a, a large group of young men that he was teaching and preparing for ministry. In one of his classes, there was a man that got up and volunteered to pray. And he strung together a very impressive Array of words, and everyone kind of took note wow, I didn't expect that to come out of that guy. But as time passed, that man proved to be an imposter. He was a playwright and an actor. Eventually, he would abandon his family and the ministry. His desire for the attention of men. Expose the faithful motives that dictated his prayer. Prayer is not for show. And prayer is not to be too wordy. Do you see it there in verse 7? And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. I take great comfort in this. I'm not one that likes to talk too much. And when I'm in a conversation with my wife over the phone, I'm not the best conversationalist. Is that true, Melody? (laughs) And so if prayer and the effectiveness of prayer is measured on the length of my words, I'm not going to be very good in the prayer closet. The word... Empty phrases here means to stammer, to repeat, the same things over and over, to use many idle words. It means to babble. And so what Jesus is warning about as we are thinking about prayer, it's not so much quantity, it's quality. Some of the most important and powerful prayers in the Bible are short prayers. Solomon, as he is praying for wisdom as a young man, is only four verses. Elijah, as he's on Mount Carmel with all these prophets of Baal, and he is asking for God to intervene, is only two verses. And the dying thief on the cross, in one verse says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just one verse. Prayer. It's to be thoughtful. One is in the presence of God. And their words are to reflect this reverence. One person that was an expert in prayer, we might say, is Pastor R.A. Torrey. He wrote this little book called The Power of Prayer. And Let me just read a little paragraph for you. He said, We should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or in private, until we are definitely conscious that we have come into the presence of God and are actually praying to Him. I can remember when that thought transformed my prayer life. I was brought up to pray. I was taught to pray so early in life that I have not the slightest recollection of who taught me to pray. Nevertheless, prayer was largely a mere matter of form. There was a little real thought of God and no real approach to God. And even after I was converted, yes, even after I entered the ministry, prayer was largely a matter of form. But the day came when I realized what prayer meant. I realized that prayer was having an audience with God, actually coming to the presence of God and asking and getting things from Him. And the realization of that fact transformed my prayer life. Before that, prayer had been a mere duty and sometimes a very irksome duty. But from that time on, prayer had been merely a duty but now a privilege. One of the most highly esteemed privileges of life. Before that, the thought I had was how much time do I have to spend in prayer? The thought that now possesses me is how much time May I spend in prayer without neglecting the other privileges and duties of life. As we're talking about this, there might be some repetition. Jesus is not speaking against times that we might pray for the same thing. In fact, keep your finger here for a moment and follow with me to a little bit later in Matthew 26. The context of Matthew 26 is where Jesus is praying before his crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 26, he's there in the garden of Gethsemane, and listen to what it says in Matthew 26 verse 44, so leaving them, that's his disciples, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. I find that interesting. That there are times in our life where we are under so much pressure, so much problems, and we don't necessarily know what to pray, but the same thing kind of comes out of our mouth and we don't mean to be mindless in that, but it's the same passion, the same burden that we have and we are asking in the same words. Even Jesus had done that there in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, so far we've considered I'm just saying that prayer is natural. Now let me consider the second last point of the message. And that is that Jesus provided a pattern. A pattern for prayer. Look at what it says there in verse 9. Pray then like this. Having just warned or instructed the followers not to teach with empty words, Jesus then offers a framework of prayer for us. While this prayer, the Lord's or the disciples' prayer, is invaluable for us to memorize, it is not intended for us to recite at every worship service. Rather, it is an outline for us. And as you work through this passage, I think you would Uh, agree with me that each one of these phrases could be a sermon in and of itself, but I'm just going to treat it in two different categories. The first category is to begin with a God-word focus. The first half of this prayer begins with an encouragement to us to instead of entering into the list of wants and needs of our life, to begin to look to God. Instead of rushing into this list, Jesus sets a pattern to set our hearts to God's hearts, to tune them. On Friday, um, our children and Melody had uh, purchased tickets to a symphony at St. Norbert's College. I think the Green Bay Symphony is there as well as many schools. I think I saw some of you there. And I remember, I haven't been to a symphony before, so there we were sitting in the back, and uh, there was a couple of different schools present, but then the, the symphony itself. And I couldn't help but notice, after every pause, there would be this three to five to seven seconds where someone would make a sound, and then all the instruments would tune accordingly to that sound. As we consider this prayer today, there is an invitation every day throughout the day to be tuning our lives to the heart of God. So there's three different ways that we have this God Word focus. The first is to revere God's name; that is to respect God and who He is. You see, it as it says in verse nine: "Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your." name. So when we pray, we don't have to refer to God as a chairman, as a president, or even a king. But there are certain privileges that we have received when we became a Christian that we can refer to him as father. It is a very warm title. It's a a title of which we can climb up into his lap and say, I've got troubles in my life. There are puzzles all around, and I need your intervention in them. In America, we're probably a little bit too friendly with God in this title of Father. And so we look here at verse 9 again. It says, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, this speaks about the Father is not just at our level, but He is still there in heaven. He is distinct. He is different from us. And then we are instructed to pray, hallowed be your name. May your name, your reputation be revered in my life. May your attributes, your qualities be respected. Today, as I I begin my morning, I want to respect and honor you in the way I think, talk, and live. May my private and public worship be real and reverent. A second way that we are to have this God-word focus in verse 10 is that we are to pray, Your kingdom come. So the second way is to advance God's kingdom. This kingdom, someone has said, is a sphere in which God is acknowledged as king in the hearts of those giving Him loving obedience. One pastor, Alan Redpath, said this, Before we can pray, Thy kingdom come, We must be willing to pray, My kingdom, go. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're saying at least three different things. God, may your rule and your reign in my life grow. There are areas that I've been withholding from you. I want to give those areas up today. You're aware of the areas that I fear and I'm anxious about. Help me to yield those over. A second way that this, this idea of advancing God's kingdom, I think, is missionary or evangelistic. It's, God, today I want to see your kingdom be expanded in the world. Not only on Neamoon Island in Senegal, but in my workplace, in my school, in my family, in my youth group, in my small group. I want to see your rule Grow and expand. And then thirdly, I think this is a prayer to look to when Jesus will establish his eternal kingdom in the future. It helps us to think about heaven with great hope that one day a new heaven, a new earth will be established. So these are what we are to be praying in the morning, praying throughout the day. Your kingdom come. And then he says this, the last part of verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how is it that we know God's will? But through scripture. And so you see the link between knowing God's word and knowing God's will. And so if we're going to pray, God, your will be done, We have to know what God's will is as revealed in the pages of Scripture. It is this continually surrendering of our will. A couple of us men were working through a book on meditation, meditating on God's Scripture. And instead of adding to our quiet times another time slot, we are to read carefully, pausing from verse to verse, and paragraph to paragraph, trying to soak in all the truth we can and allowing that to propel us into praying for that. Jesus instructs us to pray that our obedience would be at the level of angels. Do you see it there in verse 10? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same way that angels obey you perfectly, God, is how I want to obey you. I read of a, a Russian prisoner who was a believer. And I will, I'm i sure I will not pronounce his name right. His first name was Ivan. His second name was Densovik. I told you I wouldn't pronounce it right. Ivan endured all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. One day he was praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner noticed him and said with ridicule, Prayers won't help you. Get out of this place. Opening his eyes, Ivan answered, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. Prayer is not manipulating God to get what you want, but discovering what He wants you to do and then asking the Holy Spirit to enable us to do His will. Prayer is is not a way to get what we want, but the way to become what God wants. So the first part of this Godward focus is to revere God, to advance God's kingdom, and to obey God's will. Now the second part of this pattern of prayer is to pray for our lives. Look what it says in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know if you're like me, but this is often where my prayer begins. Help me with my wants. Help me with my needs. But in those mornings when I wake up and bring my old golden retriever, Hank, for a walk and I begin to pray, it is so helpful for me to use this outline that Jesus has provided. Our Father, who is in heaven. To be able to just maul on those words. God, I want your name to be hallowed today. Lord, I want your kingdom to grow in my life and those around me. Lord, I want to I obey your will today and just, just to pray through that. And then as I make my way through that outline, then eventually I get to things like food, shelter, health, clothing, transportation, pressures for my family, and pressures for you. Jesus does not ask us to pray that he will fill our storehouses full, but that he will meet our daily needs, give us our daily bread. The second thing in praying for your life is that God will forgive us our sins, here's the key word, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Again, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer that Jesus would not have needed to pray because he had no debts. He did not have any sins that needed to be forgiven. But you see, this prayer is so intuitive for us that it knows our heart to the very core, that we are sinners, that we are in ongoing need for confession. And not only this, one of the ways that we sin is we don't forgive those who have wronged us. So this prayer says, deal with me as I deal with other people. Deal with me as I have dealt with, with others Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, "Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy." The word "forgive here means to release a prisoner, to let go of a, de- a debt, or to declare innocent." And so on a regular part of our prayers, we are to be confessing sins. And not only this, because bitterness and unforgiveness can be so deeply rooted in our lives. Jesus included this in his pattern for prayer. That when we pray, we would be addressing that root of bitterness that could, could get into our hearts. John Wesley, and speaking of that, that direct link between our willingness to forgive and the forgiveness of sins that would be granted to us has a story. At one time, he was a missionary in Georgia. And there was a general by the name of Oglethorpe, with whom Wesley had some dealings. General Oglethorpe was a great military leader. But he had a reputation of being very harsh and brutal. One day, he said to John Wesley, I never forgive. To which Wesley replied, Then, sir, I hope you never sin. I was coming across the list that Pastor Pritchard included of ten different evidences that you've forgiven someone. And maybe this would be helpful. Oftentimes, when we have a message on forgiveness and unforgiveness, it touches hearts. He said, here's ten different ways to know if you've forgiven someone. Number one. Face what they did and forgive them anyway. Two, don't keep bringing it up to them. Three, don't talk about it to others. Four, show mercy instead of judgment. Five, refuse to speak evil of others. Six, choose not to dwell on it. Seven, pray for them. Eight, ask God to bless them. Nine, do not rejoice at their calamities. And ten, help them when you can. So there's a prayer for life, daily bread, a prayer to ask for forgiveness of sins as you are forgiving others. And then finally, as we're praying for life, included in this outline that Jesus provides for us, to pray that God will lead in victory over temptations. Look what it says in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is interesting that that word temptation in Greek is just the word test. And the word test is not necessarily evil. A test can be a good thing. A test can be a bad thing. A test is neutral. But in the context here, the test is a temptation towards sinning. It says in James chapter 1, But each of you is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So as I go throughout my day, God, I am sure to be tempted to disobey. Remember what your word says in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will Also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So today, help me to find the trap door. Help me to find a way of escape when I am faced with temptation. To use the fishing analogy that was provided just a moment ago in James 1, those of you that love to fish, you may have a favorite place to go a favorite hole, a favorite bay, a favorite shoreline. And you fish that so frequently that you know how to catch fish there. What lures to use, live bait, what technique to use, if the wind is coming from a certain direction of where to go. And you've probably had outings like I have, where you've taken all the knowledge and past success out to a fishing outing, and you've done exactly what you have done before, whereas before you caught a whole bunch of fish, but on this particular day, the fish that are there, because you can see them on your fish finder, are not taking anything, even your live bait. That's a nice, helpful illustration. To say, God, help me to be like that satisfied fish because there's going to be a whole bunch of flashy temptations and lures that are going to come my way today. But I've seen the damage that's been done to my friends and my family. And help me not to fall for those tricks. Instead, help me to be satisfied with what you have given to me. So there's prayer. I think it's natural. There's a pattern of prayer that's been provided for us. And so let me just end with this conclusion. How can I help? How can I help here at Highland Crest? Pray. At one time, I was going to list a whole bunch of prayers from the New Testament. Pray this one for me. But we don't even have to go there. Let's just go back to the disciples' prayer that we see that we've covered this morning. Revere God's name, advance God's kingdom, obey his will. Pray that God will meet your needs, our needs. Pray that God will forgive our sins as we forgive one another's sins. And pray that God will lead us victorious over the temptations that come our way. We need God's power. What he has called us to is beyond what we can do. May we be a praying church. May we be a praying family. May you be a praying person. Fathers, we... Uh, Wind our message down today. Once again, we're just unpacking an absolute imperative privilege that we have been given. And I pray that today, as we reflect on Jesus' words, that we'd be reminded that we don't have to make prayer more than what it is, but we can just keep it simple. It's spending time with you in the mornings. It's reading the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to guide our prayers. It's an ongoing relationship where throughout the day we can offer up sentence prayers. We can offer paragraphs of thankfulness. pleas for intervention. God, today there's puzzles all around us. And may we not try to assemble the puzzles of our our life. And then when we get to a point of saying, I can't do this now, God, would you intervene? May we start by praying and ask for you to help us with every movement. Jesus told us that unless we are abiding, unless we are connected to you, that we are unable to do anything. So we want to be connected to you. In Jesus' name, help us. Amen. Now this message today has been really for those who have trusted Christ, who have had their sins forgiven. When it says, Our Father, it's for those who are children of God. But that isn't everyone. We are made children of God when we come to a place of confessing our sins to him, expressing our need to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross. Have you done that? If so, I would, if you haven't, I would urge you to do that today. Would you pray with me as we think through this? If you're not a follower of God. Father, I thank you for the word again that was shared today and help us to reflect on these things. But there's something missing here that I don't know. It's that I could have a relationship with you as a loving father. And a friend, if that's you, then here's a way to enter a relationship. Ask Ask him. And forgive your sins. Tell him you're sorry. Acknowledge how your sins have separated you from God. Receive life that's given to you. Express your desire to trust in what Jesus has done for you when he died on the cross. Tell him you'll live for him the rest of his day. You do his will, not your own. Ask him to enter your life and to take ownership of all who you are. Lord, I thank you for how you still do that. You you work and take your word and And have people open their lives to a relationship with you. If that's been done today, we celebrate that. We pray for you to allow that person to begin to take new steps in walking in a relationship with Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that is you, if this morning you have trusted Christ, after this service, I'd be delighted if you'd talk to me about that. Talk to someone else, maybe you came with, and we would love to talk to you further about what it means to now follow Jesus the rest of your life. Let's sing this song together uh, before the throne of God above. Why don't you stand with me?